This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your hour of old-time radio crime, which you can find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Our first story this week comes from Secrets of Scotland Yard. It's the case of Frederick Stewart. That story aired sometime in the 1950s. After that, it's Richard Diamond, private detective, and the Ice Pick murder case, his story from July 12, 1950. transgressed any of the criminal laws, as far as I know, I've got away with it so far. But if I were a criminal, aha, now that would be a very different cup of tea, or a pair of shoes, or a kettle of fish, whichever simile you prefer. Criminals have to be very, very careful not to go on too long. After studying many cases, I've come to the conclusion that criminals seldom help and more often harm themselves by saying more than they need to. Therefore, to all would-be criminals, my advice is, keep your trap shut. In proof of which, I'm going to tell you the story of a man whose life was in the balance. You'll hear which way dipped by speaking just three words too many. Only three words. And I know people who use thousands and thousands of words too many, and they're not even arrested. I expect you know a lot of the same kind. But in the case of Frederick Stewart... The man in question, three words made the difference between freedom and... Let us go back a few years to one evening in February. Our scene is London. Pembridge Square, Bayswater to be exact. As our man, Frederick Stewart, strolling casually round the square. The only reason you give him a second glance is because he's such a very small man, only three quarters of an inch over five feet. He doesn't look like a criminal, does he? But he is. And just out of jail for housebreaking. He usually holds down a job as a bookie's clerk, but this doesn't tide him over the winter months when there's very little horse racing. Right now, Frederick Stewart is broke, very broke, and he has recently decided to carry a gun. That's rather unusual for a British criminal, because the penalties are very severe. Of course, he never plans to use the gun. It's just to help him bluff his way out of trouble, if trouble comes along. He's too small to be much good in a fight. Watch him as he goes over to that house. He's ringing the doorbell. He looks over towards the far end of the square, rings the doorbell again. Nothing suspicious in that, is there? No. He rings the doorbell again. Persistent character, this Frederick Stewart. Between you and me, he's hoping nobody answers. Oh, dear, he's out of luck. Somebody's opened the door. An elderly woman. 
Yes, that is it. Is the chauffeur about? Chauffeur? Oh, we've no chauffeur here. Oh, sorry. Must be the wrong address. Well, perhaps I know him. What's he look like? Oh, never mind. Sorry to have bothered you. I'll see him when he gets back to the garage. So which one's that? The white garage. Goodbye. Oh, goodbye? Well, that's funny. I've never heard of that one. I'll see around here. The Warwick Garage. Three little words. The Warwick Garage. And it turned out three words too many. They put a rope around Frederick Stewart's neck. Keep your eye on him. He's going on up the square. Looks back. Yes, the old lady's gone in and closed the door. He has that same quick look around as before. Nothing furtive, nothing would give him away. Just a glance to see that nobody has particularly got his eye on him. And there he goes into that block of flats. You know what his game is now, don't you? It's obvious. Scotland Yard call what Stuart is doing, sounding the drum. He rings the doorbell. If it's answered, he'll ask for some imaginary person. And being told that nobody of that name lives there, he'll say something about uh, being given the wrong address, apologize, and go on his way. What he's looking for is a house or a flat where no amount of knocking or ringing brings an answer. He can be pretty sure then the place is empty, so he breaks in. That is exactly what he's doing to one of those flats at this very moment. He's sounded the drum. Everything seems to be all right from his point of view. He gets no response. And he's picked an easy flat to break into. The door has a glass panel set in the top half. A quick jab with the butt of his gun. He reaches through, carefully avoiding the jagged edges of the broken glass. Turns the latch. Is it bolted or on the chain? No, it opens easily enough. He's inside. Now he puts the door on the chain. That'll hold long enough to let him get off the back way if he's interrupted. Now, he should go to the back door and see that it's unlocked. He should, but he doesn't. Just this once he's forgotten, unluckily. Unluckily, because Mr. Webb, the owner of the flat, is on his way back. With him are his 18-year-old son, Clifford, and a friend, Mr. Frank Sweeney. They walk up the few stairs leading to the flat, and as they reach the landing, Mr. Sweeney notices something strange. Hey, somebody's been making a bit of a mess of your stairs, Webb. What is it? Where? Here, Dad, look. Bits of broken glass. Well, I'm blessed. It's from the glass panel in the door. See, it's broken. Now, how did that happen? Your mother must have come home before us. That's why the whole light's on. The door slammed when she came in and the glass cracked and fell out. I wish you'd have that beastly frosted stuff taken out. It's so old-fashioned and dangerous, too. I'll think about it. Here, Frank. Hold this parcel a minute while I unlock. That's funny. She's got it on the chain. Doesn't usually do that. Kitty, let us in there, will you? Oh, here she comes. I can see her shadow through the glass. It's not. That's a man. He must have broken in. Sit, run for the police. Quick, right. The fine one down on Portobello Road. I know. Train, go with Cliff. If you can't find a copper there, try the other corner. What about you? I'm going into the flat to get that man. How? Same way he did. Reach through the glass. There, that's got it. You better let me come in, will you? Do what I say like a good chap. And don't bother about me. He's only a little fellow. I could handle three his size before breakfast. So, Mr. Sweeney, much against his will, follows Cliff down the road. 
Meanwhile, Stuart should have had plenty of time to get out by the back door. What's stopping him? Remember? He didn't check that back door. It's locked. And the key isn't in the lock. Webb's in the flat now. He's coming nearer and nearer. This is what Stuart's always feared. Webb weighs almost twice as much as Stuart, and he's very strong. He's seen him. All right, men ahead. The game's up. Get away from that door. Stop. Well, I'll blow your head off. Oh, got a gun, eh? I'll use it if you come any closer. You wouldn't dare. They're not going to nab me. Not again. I'm going to give you the beating of your life. No, no. Get back. Oh. I've killed him. The fool. The blooming fool. What do you have to come at me like that for? I didn't want to kill him. I didn't want to. I want to get out of here. <laughs> and to get rid of the gun. He's not one of your cool master criminals, this frightened little man. He runs, runs as though the devil was after him, and in his flight flings the gun over the wall into a garden as he passes and hurries into the darkness of a London night. Mr. Webb never regained consciousness. He'd been shot just above the left eye, and although he was rushed to hospital, he died the next morning. Murder had been committed. Chief Inspector Horwell of Scotland Yard was put in charge of the case. He and his staff went to the scene of the crime and made a careful, detailed investigation. Horwell questioned young Clifford Webb. Then the only thing the thief got away with is that gold bracelet. And that's all, Inspector. There's nothing else missing, apart from that stuff he packed ready in the suitcase. Yeah, I'm afraid we shall have to borrow that, Pro Tem, for evidence. All right. It's, uh, it was one of Dad's. You say when you, your father, and Mr. Sweeney arrived here, the light was on in the corridor and you saw the shadow of the man? Yes, but not very distinctly. Can you tell me anything about him? For instance, was he tall or short? Come to think of it, he must have been short, because I thought at first it was my mother and she'd got home ahead of us. Ah, that checks with Mr. Sweeney's story. Oh? Yeah, he made a statement. Yeah, wait a minute, I've got it here. Mr. Webb was looking through the crack of the door. He said to me, he's only a little fellow I could tackle three like him before breakfast. Yeah. So you see, his independent evidence establishes the fact that the thief was a small man. Can I have a word with you, Inspector? Yes, Simon, what is it? The photographer is finished, sir. We've had a good look round, but we haven't found any M.O. What do you mean, M.O.? Modus operandi, Latin meaning method of operation. Most professional criminals have a habit, a characteristic of their work, which gives them away. Their way of handling a jemmy or picking a lock. You call it a trademark, if you like. So what Sergeant Simon means is that there's no evidence here that checks up with any of our records. Uh, that's going to make it a bit more difficult. Hmm, possibly. But there are several other ways we can start to work to catch him. Well, we know he's a professional. The way he went to work makes that obvious. Oh, uh, Simon. Yes, sir? To see if anyone was sounding the drum in this neighborhood yesterday afternoon. Yes, sir. Uh, Digby? Yes, sir. Find out if anybody saw a small man, a stranger to the neighborhood, coming out of these flats about the time of the murder. Right away, sir. Uh, uh, Clarkson. Yes, sir. Get back to headquarters and go through the files for records of housebreakers. Maybe anyone from any part of the country. Uh, broadcast this description. I want a small man, a professional criminal, suspected of carrying a gun. Anything else? Yes. An expert shot, sir. Oh? We only found one cartridge. Mr. Webb must have been a moving target. And yet the murderer only fired once and got him right in the head. Yeah, give me that cartridge case. 
32 caliber automatic. And the only one found? The only one, sir. Good. And when you go through the record, keep an eye open for someone who's either been a soldier or known to be a good shot. Sharpshoot with a fair or a music hall or something like that. I understand. For two days, Scotland Yard worked ceaselessly on the three leads outlined by Chief Inspector Hobel. First to find if anybody had been sounding the drum in the neighborhood or thereabouts. It didn't take him long to find the old lady who had answered the door when Stuart made his first try in Pembridge Square. Yes, now that you come to mention it, another man came to the door. Yesterday, late afternoon it was. Can you remember what he looked like? Oh, I didn't pay much attention. You know how it is. But he was a little man. Think you'd recognize him again if you saw him? Oh, no. I only remember him because of something he said. What was that? He said he came from the Warwick Garage. And there's no Warwick Garage in these parts, as I should know. Lived here for 20 years, I have. Not much of a description, but confirmation of the fact that the man Scotland Yard is looking for is a little fellow. That's a help to Sergeant Clarkson at headquarters, who's coming through the records of known housebreakers and checking on their movements. But it was Sergeant Digby who found the first piece of material evidence. Sergeant Digby, to find if anybody answering their general description of the murderer had been seen leaving the block of flats. Come in. Good morning, Inspector. Ah, it's you, Digby. Good morning. What have you got there? I think it's the guy that did the job, sir. Oh, good for you. I found a man who was going past that block of flats with his girlfriend just about the time of the murder. He doesn't live in the neighborhood, and that's why it took me a bit of time to chase him up. Well, I understand. Go on. Well, the man he saw was a little fella in a devil of a hurry. He bumped into this fellow's girlfriend as he went past. The fellow turned and shouted after him to look where he was going. And he saw him toss something into one of the gardens up the square. Couldn't be sure which one. And it was a gun, eh? That's right, sir. I found it the guard number 21. Oh, nice work, Digby. Give it a fingerprint, boy. Oh, I don't know if they'll find anything. Hello? Who is it? The cartridge jammed in the breach. This means we've got to change our minds about the man we're looking for. <laughs> murder weapon had been recovered. The gun that Stuart flung away as he rushed from the scene of the crime. A cartridge has been found jammed in the breach. And Chief Inspector Howell says he has to change his mind about the man he's looking for. Why? One bullet killed Mr. Webb. The point is, Dick, dear, that up to now we've been searching the records for a man who was a crack shot. Now we can forget that. Yes, I see you mean, sir. It was just lucky he got a man the first bang. Exactly. For all we know now, he may have intended emptying the whole magazine into Webb. But the gun jammed. The inspector called for Sergeant Clarkson, who had been going through the record files, and told him of this new development. Well, that's what it amounts to, Clarkson. We've got the idea that the man we want is a dead shot. Now, how many suspects have we who fit into the picture? Four, sir. Tony Lesser, mm-hmm. Warren Haste, James Cole, and Frederick Stewart, alias Frederick Robinson. Right. Give me the papers on Cole and Stewart. Here you are, sir. Now, you take method and haste. Here's a report on the case, up to date. We'll go over them together, line by line. Very good, sir. Now, it doesn't matter how trivial the connection. If you find anything, tell me. For the best part of an hour, 
The inspector and Clarkson checked and cross-checked every aspect of the case with the known characteristics of the four suspects. Then, once again, luck turns against Frederick Stewart. Here's something, Clarkson, isn't it? Yes, sir. It's in Stewart's file. Nearest relatives, uncle and aunt, living on Warwick Road. Does that ring a bell? Warwick Road? Do you know when the old lady asked what garage he came from? The fellow said Warwick Garage, didn't he? Right, Joe, sir, that's right, sir. This is a pr- pretty slender connection when you come to think of it. Maybe the connection was slender, but Horvo's reasoning was sound. Why, when a man is suddenly put to it to invent an excuse, as this man obviously was when the old lady asked him where he came from, why should he automatically think of a garage that did not exist? Why did the name Warwick leap into his mind? He might have had it ready in case of accident. He might. On the other hand, he might not. But uh, let's rejoin the murder squad. He's the smallest of the lot. Height, five foot and three quarters of an inch. Yes. Ordinary housebreaker. Hmm. Ah, yes. He was jailed for trying to burgle the county hall in Westminster. Hmm. And chose the night when there were a couple of officers secreted on the premises. <laughs> Very bad luck. <laughs> they chased him down the passages, four and a half miles of them. Found him in the basement, in the boiler room. Nice warm spot. Not as warm as the spot he'll finish up in if he had anything to do with this web murder. I think that for the moment we'll concentrate on Mr. Frederick Stewart. Now, let's see if we can pick him up. But it was not as easy as that. They found his landlady. No, he's not. Well, to tell you the truth, I threw him out. Why? Hasn't paid his cent, that's why. Where's he gone? I don't know. And what's more, I don't care. They tried his relations. Pity? Yes, he's my nephew, more the pity. In trouble, is he? What, again? How should I know where he is? He never comes near me. And a good job, too. They found a bookmaker who'd employed him. Yes, so I used him for a couple of seasons as my clerk. Well, the fact is, we had a slight difference of opinion about ten quid, and I told him what to do with himself. Won't show his nose round here again. They found a friend. What do you think? What do you think I am? A narc? If you want him, find yourself. Besides, just because I was a friend of his once doesn't mean I am now. And so it goes. Setback after setback. But still, the patient men at Scotland Yard keep on working. Suddenly, there came an unexpected development. Did you know that Scotland Yard has its own daily newspaper, the Police Gazette? Each night it goes out by road, rail, and air to its very limited but select readers all over Great Britain. This uh, isn't a paper that is danced through and thrown away. Every line is read and reread. One of its most popular columns is headed... Property believed stolen. In this column had appeared a very full description of a gold bracelet set with diamonds missing from the Webb household. The contents of this column are passed on by the local police to all jewellers and pawnbrokers in their area. Some time later, in Inspector Horwell's office, an urgent telephone from the Langshire County Police, sir. They've traced the Webb bracelet. Yes? A broken pawnbroker reported this. Well, could he describe the fellow who put it in? Yes, sir. 25 to 30, 5 foot 10 at least, Scar left cheek. Ah, that's certainly not good. No, but it could be Tony Lesser. 
Send out an old station message to bring him in. Finding Tony Lesser was no trouble at all. Wasn't even hiding. It so happened that he had nothing on his conscience. Except the bracelet. Where did you get it, Tony? Oh, I found it. Oh, you found it. Well, all I can tell you is that somebody who handled that particular bracelet is going for the eight o'clock walk one cold morning. Right, right. Well, that's different. Well, I thought you'd think so. Did Stuart give it me? Nice price, too. Oh, where did you find Stuart? The usual place. Where's that? Dog track. Thank you, Tony. So Scotland Yard has learned that Stuart likes to go to the dog races. As slender true, you might think. Oh, no. That's one of the secrets of Scotland Yard. They know a man may break any or all of the Ten Commandments, but break his habit of life, he will not. If he's a lover of nightlife, it's in the dance halls and nightclubs that you'll find him. The scholar will be found in the libraries and bookstores. So to find Frederick Stewart, Scotland Yard goes to the dance. First, how then? No luck. Next, White City. No luck. Wembley. No luck. Haringey. No luck. Days later, back to Savannah. This is no good. We're wasting our time. Yes. We'd better get back to London. Might be worthwhile having one more look in the bar at the Crowd Hotel. Seems to the place where most of the dog experts hang out. To be honest. Do you really think it's worth it? Or are you just thirsty? Well, might as well kill two birds with one stone while we're passing. Come on. Suits me. Here we go. Oh, oh I'm so sorry, sorry. Not your drink. Oh, that's quite all right, my fault. Oh, no, no, no. I'm standing in the way of the door. Forget it. Well, have another one with me. Hi, this is him. You're Stuart. I don't know what you're talking about. Robinson's my name. That's right. Stuart Alias Robinson. I have to ask you to come with us. I've been expecting this. Chief Inspector Orwell wants to have uh, a little chat with you. So Stuart, unlucky again, was driven back to London for his little chat with the inspector. Of course, he had a story all cooked up. He admitted that he'd been in the flat at Pembridge Square and made a statement regarding what he called the accident. I had the gun in my hand. I was working on the back door trying to get out. I knew he was coming up behind me, but I didn't know he was so close. I got a wallop on the back of my head. As I fell, I heard a bang. I must have been knocked out. When I came to, I was on the stairs outside the flat. I don't know how I got there. I didn't even see who hit me. I scrambled up and ran downstairs out of the house. That was his story. But after hearing the medical testimony and all the other evidence presented by Scotland Yard, the jury decided that Stuart's version did not tally with the facts. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. There's uh, an interesting footnote to this story. At the time Stuart was condemned, the English derby was only three weeks off. He asked his jailers for a copy of Ruff's Guide to the Turf, and all the sporting papers so that he could study form. But a few days later, the governor of the prison came to his cell. I have to inform you that the date has been fixed. Yes, sir. When, sir? June 6th. But, 
select Derby Day. Can't we give me one more day? I'm afraid not. And so the day and the moment arrived. Some hours later, after Stuart had paid the supreme penalty, Chief Inspector Horwell and Digby, who happened to be in his office at the time, heard the results of the derby. Well, I'm blessed. You're the coincidence, Digby. What is it, sir? Inspector, say the last words that Frederick Stewart said as they took him along the passage was, have a few shillings on Felstead today. And it won? Yeah, indeed it did. At 33 to 1. And that is the end of Frederick Stewart, the man who almost escaped. A man who was hanged by three words too many. The Warwick Garage. Those fatal words that gave Inspector Horwell the clue to his identity. You may think that Stuart was caught because he was especially unlucky. Let me assure you that is not so. Any criminal who is against Scotland Yard is unlucky. independent Rexall family druggists bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective. independent druggists who have made the word Rexall part of our own store name, and who recommend and sell the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company, like Rexall MI-31, for example, Rexall's popular and versatile mouthwash, gargle, and breath deodorant. Full-strength MI-31 kills contacted germs almost instantly, yet will not harm the delicate membranes of the mouth and throat. Ask for Rexall MI-31 at Rexall drugstores everywhere. And remember, you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. Now your Rexall family druggist brings you a transcribed half hour with Richard Diamond, private detective, starring Dick Powell. Gee, Diamond, I'm sorry. Did I hurt you? Oh, no, 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 Seymour. I feel great. Oh, 
Who needs peace? Come to think of it, though, I might be more comfy down here if you'd lift this desk off my chest. Oh, yeah, sure. There, there you go. Oh, oh well, thanks, thanks. Sorry, I didn't mean to knock you over. Oh, forget it. Forget it. I, I enjoy having my chest crushed as much as the next guy. Okay. Now, the throw I'm going to show you now is called a Japanese shoulder throw. Oh, look, uh, Seymour, you've convinced me. Judo is a wonderful sport. I... I didn't realize what I've been missing all these years. I, I, I love this sport, judo. Now, what'll it be, canasta or old maid? What? How about hopscotch? Oh, come on, come on. Let me show you just one more throw, huh? Not even if it was with a beanbag. Hey, maybe some wrestling holes in. I know a lot of wrestling stuff. Must be some trick you'd like me to try. No, 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 Seymour. I, I, I really don't believe I... Well, come to think of it, yes, I... There is a wonderful little trick. Huh? You get yourself a nice long rope, throw it high up into the air. Yeah. And then real quick, you climb way, way up to the top and just disappear. Oh, that's nuts. Oh, I defeated it, huh? Well, no. Diamond Detective Agency, brains, experience, enthusiasm, delirium tremens. Greg, don't be so silly. I might have been a prospective client. Oh, hi, sweetie. Hi. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. But you'll have to admit, I, I have got brains and enthusiasm and good looks and a dynamic personality. And my father can beat up your father. Rick, you're incorrigible. No, I'm right here in New York. Oh, that's just dandy. Now, will you please tell me what we're doing tonight? Oh, that, honey, is a long story. I'm comfortable. Well, remember the day we walked into Gibble's basement and I bumped into an old schoolmate of mine who was demonstrating barbells? <laughs> I remember how funny you looked when he goaded you into picking up that big weight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how hysterical it was when he had to carry me upstairs to the chiropractor. I carried you just like a baby, too, didn't I? Who's that? Now, that's him. Muscles. He bicycled all the way over from Jersey just to tell me his ideas on self-defense. He bicycled? Oh, he was dressed for it. Top hat, tail, sneakers. Well, what are you talking about? One of his cleverest ideas was that I'd treat him to dinner tonight if he could knock me to the floor in less than 30 seconds. So? Gave him the battle of his life. Seven seconds. The point is, where can we eat where they'll poison his food? Hey, I heard that. It's all right, Seymour. You can order small helping. Rick. Let's make it Leon's, baby. Okay? Must we? Will you be an angel and meet us at Leon's? I'll meet you at Leon's. Eight o'clock sharp. Rick, if you keep me waiting. If I keep you waiting, you have a lock of my hair. Eight o'clock. Sharp. Well, I'll see you at Leon's at eight o'clock, huh? Uh, bring lots of money, because I'm a guy that can really eat. Oh, I bet you are. Well, if you arrive there before I do, Seymour, start in on the ferns with the front door. <laughs> Seymour was too stupid to go away mad, but at least he went away. I settled back in my chair and made a half-hearted attempt to figure a face out of the water spot on the ceiling. When I woke up, it was five o'clock, and I hated myself for the indulgence. As I sat there, thinking how much my mouth tasted like an old motorman's glove, I heard a noise in the hall on the other side of my door. Well, good afternoon. Something I can do for... Juice bar. Juice bar. Hey. He fell face forward into the pool of blood at his feet, like a wino who'd stumbled into a fountain of muscatel. Funny, isn't it, how an ice pick loses all its homey appeal when it's sticking out of a guy's back? The ice pick this guy was wearing was no exception. I didn't know how long he'd been leaning against my door, but one thing was certain, it was long enough to die. 
I put in a call to 5th Precinct Police Headquarters and Lieutenant Levinson. And ten minutes later, my office was full of badges. And you have no idea who he is, huh, Rick? Not the biggest, Walt. Well, the checkup shows you're the only office in the building that's been open after two. So he must have been on his way to see you when he got it from behind. Uh, maybe he was delivering ice and just happened to fall on his ice pick. Otis. Yeah? Otis, now that you've solved it, why don't you go down to the glue factory and let them put you up a nice little glass bottle? Oh. Well, anyway, here's a billfold in his pocket. That ought to tell us something. How about a look, Fatty? Huh? Oh. Oh, sure. Here. Hmm. Quite a card collector, wasn't he? Quite. Gold furriers, the copper room, O'Toole's diner. Lousy food. Got Tomain once from that cheesecake. I remember. I got Tomain just watching you eat it. I resent that. And I accept your apology. Yeah. Huh? Where's that green card from? This one? Yeah. Mm, the Apollo Health Club. Hey, that's right down the street. Nothing with the old boy's name on it, though. Afraid not. However, something tells me you'll get that from the old boy's fingerprints. Let's hope so. Good afternoon to you, sir. Welcome to the Apollo Health Club. May I be of assistance? I'd like to get a massage. Splendid. <laughs> Performs wonders after a fatiguing day. A veritable balm to the chafed tissues of the body. But will it cure snow blindness? I beg your pardon? No, just ignore me. I'm a little chewed up today. I assume you're referring to a state of mind. Well, not altogether. Got a kink in my back that isn't entirely metal. Well, at least you've come to the proper place. A measure of skillfully applied anatomical science will rejuvenate the damaged musculature in no time. O'Brien, Mr. O'Brien, front, please. One of my best matches. Oh, you're the owner, huh? <laughs> I am, sir. Let me introduce myself. Emerson Van Arthur, Doctor of Anatomical Science. Richard Dunn. A pleasure. Uh, nice layout you have here. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Five years of assiduous study in Switzerland under the illustrious Dr. Von Seppelville. Has given me a boundless knowledge of the human mechanism. As a consequence, of course. Can you call me, Doctor? Uh, oh, yes, yes. Oh, by, oh, Byron, I did. Uh, Mr. Diamond here wishes a massage. Sure, fine. I'll speak to you later, Mr. Diamond. I just right, sir. Remember, the blood toward the heart, always toward the heart. A real private detective, huh? Uh, two private, judging from last month's receipts. Ah. <laughs> hey, you know you really rubbed that kink out of my back? Good. Don't know if you noticed it, but I was doing all my rubbing with my right arm. Tore a muscle on my left shoulder this morning and really put it out of commission. Oh, that's too bad. Speaking of things being out of commission reminds me. There's a body down at the morgue I'd like you to take a look at. Guy might have been a client of yours. Oh, what makes you think that? Had a card from the Apollo Club at his billfold. Oh? Uh, when could you come down? Uh, how about tonight? We close here at 10. Fine. Make it, uh, what about 10.30? Know where the morgue is? Yeah. Now, how'd this guy die, anyway? Somebody hit their ice pick in his spinal column. No kidding. Yeah. The corpse is a little dark-complexioned man. Kinky hair, glasses, bald spot on the top of his head. Hey, that description fits the guy who comes in here every night around closing time. Fanatic on diet, he buys wheat germ from us by the case. Know his name or where he lives? Oh, I know the... Uh, pardon me, opposing gentlemen, but I'm afraid I'll have to ask Mr. O'Brien to hide you down to the gymnasium. Oh, sure, right away, sir. Uh, here's a fresh towel, Mr. Diamond. Thanks. Sorry to interrupt like this, but 
We're a trifle understaffed and expediting the evening rush is something of a problem. Well, all right. Talk to you later tonight, Mr. Diamond. All right. Oh, hey, in case you can't make it, give me a buzz at Leon's restaurant. I'll be there till a quarter of nine. Right. Ah, Monsieur Diamond. Hello. Hello, Leon. Paris, Paris. Which translated in English means? Right this way. <laughs> Both my guests arrived? Oui. First the young lady, then a few minutes later the uh, gymnast. But, uh, uh, Mr. Diamond, a telephone call is waiting for you. Oh, thanks, thanks, ma'am. Hello, Diamond speaking. Hello, Mr. Diamond. This is Red O'Byron down at the Apollo Club. Oh, yeah, well, I'm... Hey, listen, you've got to come down here right away. I really stumbled into something. Yeah? What's that? Can't tell you over the phone. Just get down here. Drop everything and get down here. Hurry. Look, uh, Red, I'm right in the middle of the... Hello? 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 Hey, kids, i got to run. Be back in a few minutes. Just where do you think you're going? Place called the Apollo Club. Yeah? Well, how about my dinner? Uh, go, go right ahead and order. I'll be back. Oh, uh, by the way, Seymour, that potato salad on the child's plate is a real deal for a quarter. And Helen? Yes, Rick? Shoot the kill if he even suggests wrestling. I walked out of Leon's, flagged down a cab, and spent the trip back to the Apollo Club, wondering what Red O'Byron was so worked up about and why he'd hung up on me. As my cab started to swing in toward the curb, I got that lousy feeling again, and I decided definitely it was not one of Leon's martinis, but rather the large white ambulance parked in front of the Apollo Health Club. I was halfway up the steps of the club when Dr. Van Arter appeared in the doorway. Oh, oh good evening, Mr. Diamond. This, this is terrible. Terrible. What is? We... We've had an accident. Red O'Byron? Uh, yes. Oh, terrible. I, like losing his son. Losing? He's dead? Yes. He, he, he was performing a handstand on the rings in the gymnasium. And he slipped and fell. Broke his neck. Before we continue with the adventures of Richard Diamond, private detective, here's your Rexall family druggist. Last week, a customer told me that... Something I really like about Rexall Milk of Magnesia is that one bottle won't be so thick I can't even pour it, and the next one's thin and watery. Somehow, Rexall Milk of Magnesia always seems to be just right. Well, ma'am, that's because every bottle of Rexall Milk of Magnesia has to meet an exacting standard of viscosity... Or it won't wear the Rexall label. What do you mean by viscosity? Well, an easy definition would be the degree of thickness in the liquid. Now, Rexall scientists conduct scientifically precise tests on every batch of Rexall milk of magnesia to make sure it meets this constant standard of viscosity. Because that's one big reason why you'll always get a uniform dosage from every bottle. Oh, and I thought it was all just an accident. Oh, no, ma'am. There are no accidents behind the fact. You can always depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. And now back to tonight's adventure with Richard Diamond, private detective, starring Dick Powell. Well, hello, Otis. Is the lieutenant around? Yeah, he's around, so what? 
Otis, did you ever think how silly you'd look hanging from your thumb? Ah, oh, go soak your head. You mean that's how you shrunk yours? Ooh. Well, now, isn't that a coincidence? Is it? I was just thinking how peaceful it is around the precincts when you're not. Yeah. You shut up. You, uh, you tell him, Pally. How would you like to... I'd like a little information, if you don't mind. I'd like you to see what facts you can scare up on the guy who runs the Apollo Health Club. Name is Van Arthur. If I remember right, the stiff we hauled away in front of your office today had a card from the Apollo Club in his billfold. You remember right. And we found out his name was Rudy Lubin. Narcotics has a file on him that goes forever. How about the ice pick? Any fingerprints? None. Well, that's always a help. I should say. Personally, I think Otis did it. Think I did what? You see, Walter, typical pathological reaction. What do you mean? Oh, don't worry, Otis. We won't let them hang you, right, Walt? Right. Not as long as we have a rope and a tree. No. Hey, what's up? Who are you calling? Leon's restaurant. Ellen's over there breathing with a diaphragm. And Seymour. Oh, you don't know him, but he's tearing phone books apart. Good evening, Leon. Oh, hello, Leon. This is Richard Diamond. My friend's still there? We? Oui. They are waiting for you, no? They're waiting for me, yes. Let me speak to the noisy one with the biceps, will you? Oui, bien entendu. What's all this about? It's about a guy who got stabbed in front of my door, a masseur named O'Byron who got his neck broken doing tricks on the rings, and something that O'Byron mentioned earlier. Hello, hello. Uh, Seymour? Where are you, anyway? We've been waiting an hour. That's not the point. The point is, I want you to listen to me. Could a guy do a handstand on the rings if he had a torn muscle in his shoulder? Are you kidding? I'm very serious. Technicals, impossible. Shoulder muscles are the ones that do all the work. Deltoids, trapezius, upper pecs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Look, Seymour, you got to do me a favor. Meet me in front of the Apollo Health Club as soon as you can get there. Well, how about your girlfriend? Tell her to wait there like I come for her. Oh, okay, then. Only, what are we going to do? Trap or murder I hung up, assured Lieutenant Levinson that I was just going to do a little reconnaissance work and then left for the Apollo Club. Seymour was waiting when my cab drew up in front. I explained to him the part I wanted him to play. Just leave it to me. If this doctor's a phony, I'll find out for you. Let's go. <laughs> Hello again, Mr. Diamond. Doctor? I just talked to your Byron Boys family. It was heartrending, absolutely heartrending. I... Almost broke down. No, you will before it's over. Hmm? Like you to meet a friend of mine, Seymour Caper. <laughs> a pleasure, sir. What do you say, Doc? Seymour's been having a little trouble with his chest lately. I told him you were a doctor of uh, uh, anatomical science. Yeah, and that you could undoubtedly do him some good. Very kind of you. There's something to do with my muscles here. You know anything about them? Muscles? I was an anatomical scientist knows most about them. Oh, swell, swell. The doctor studied all about muscles in Switzerland. Oh? <laughs> Just what seems to be the trouble. Well, here's the deal, Doc. It all started the other day when I was working out with my barbells. I was doing an exercise for my trapezius when all of a sudden I got a spasm in my tensor fascia. So I bent over to set the barbell down on the floor, and that's when the pain hit me. First in my pectoralis minor, then in my intercostals, and finally in my diaphragm. A kind of spasmodic contraction like when you get the hiccups. Only, no hiccups. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, oh, yes, 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 a, a spasmodic contraction. Of the diaphragm. Only no hiccups. And then my abdominals began tightening until I could hardly expel my ribcage. Oh. That's when I called Diamond here. Uh, I see. Yes, yes, quite naturally. Uh, if you'll pardon me a moment, I'll see if I... Uh, yeah, but wait a minute. I haven't told you about my rhomboids. His rhomboids seem to be completely out of whack. 
Beg your pardon. Well, it must be either my rhomboids or my dorsal spinalis. Awful pain right between my shoulder blades. What do you figure it is, Doc? Well, actually, hasty diagnosis isn't uh, feasible. Huh? I, I really couldn't... Uh, uh, yeah, but you just put your hand on my left rhomboid and feel how naughty it is, huh? Hey, left rhomboid. Yeah, go ahead, feel it. It's right under the middle trapezius, Doc. You know where that is. Please, please, Seymour. Don't insult the doctor. Any old quack knows where that is. I, yes, certainly. Middle trapezius. Oh, oh great Scott. I'd almost forgotten I left a client under the sun lamp. <laughs> Pardon me, gentlemen. I'll be back in a month. Uh, a moment. Hmm. Have a hunch he's heading straight for an anatomy chart. Yeah, you're not kidding. That guy's as funny as the title he uses. Doctor of Anatomical Science. My glorious. Mine, too. Come on. I took Seymour by his rhomboid and led him out onto the street, down to the middle of the block, and up three flights to my office. While I did my thinking, Seymour did his push-ups. 302. 303. Well, Seymour, we know three things. Oh, Byron couldn't have been exercising on the rings with an injured shoulder. Five right. And the doctor's a phony. Six right. Then the doctor is a, is a front for something that's important enough to kill people over. right. Eight. As a consequence, you and I are burglars. And what? Starting as soon as the Apollo Club closes. But... You mean we're going to bust into the joint? We're going to bust into the joint or flatten your head in the attempt. Seymour, you opened that window beautifully. Uh, thanks. Remind me to autograph your biceps later. I, uh, this detective business is dangerous, ain't it? Oh, yes, yes. But think of the advantages. Long hours, no time for meals. And on a good day, a guy can pick up as high as two or three hundred bullets in his back. I don't like it. Go on, crawl in. Okay, okay. Don't push! I followed Seymour in, and we waited a minute for our eyes to get accustomed to the darkness. Then we moved cautiously down the stairway to the first floor. I had no idea what I was looking for, but Dr. Van Arthur's office was the first place where I tried to find it. And it does lock. You want it open? Well, of course I do, Seymour. Use your head. Okay. Seymour would be pulling plywood out of his scalp for the next week, but it got us in. I took the place apart, but came up with a big fat nothing. So we left the office and headed down the hall toward the back of the building. Hey, look. What's the matter? It's a fruit juice bar. Oh, boy, am I thirsty. Well, go mix yourself up a... Juice bar, that's it. Yeah, good stiff bell of celery juice. No, man. no, no. This is what the little man who was stabbed outside my office was gasping about when he died. A juice bar. Come on. Sure. Nothing but juice. Oh. What was in this cupboard under the counter? Is it locked? Yeah. Think you can pull it open? <laughs> Just watch me. Ah, you see? Seymour. Yeah. Will you marry me? I'll give you a belt and a solar plexus. Later, huh? Right now, let's see what's in this cupboard. Uh, you got a match? I don't smoke. That's all right. I found one. Well, what do you know about that? Nothing but cans of wheat germ. Hey, you know what that stuff is, don't you? I know that the masseur who got killed here told me that the guy who died in front of my office bought it up by the case. 
Hand me a can, will you? Sure. Here. This stuff is full of vitamins, you know. You want a handful? Oh, uh, no thanks. Yeah. Well, it must be some extra special brand. Never tasted anything like this before. Sure, a little out of Seymour. We can dance to it. Hey. <laughs> hey. That really hits the spot, man. Hey, you want a rifle? Oh, quiet, Seymour. <laughs> you know what, boy? I can fly. Seymour. I can fly. That is, see? Oh, man, do I ever love to fly. While Seymour stood there flapping his arms, I stuck my nose into the can he was holding. Uh-huh. Once you've smelled opium, you can always recognize the aroma, even when it's mixed with wheat jam. I was trying to decide what to do with Seymour when he slid slowly to the floor under the counter and rocked out. I loosened his collar and then started for a telephone. Leaving, Mr. Detective. Uh, well, Doctor, working late? <laughs> I'm glad I arrived in time to offer you a drink of fruit juice. Well, thanks loads, but I'm driving. Where you're going, Mr. Detective, the weather is too hot for driving. Now, isn't that a nasty thing for a guy who sticks ice picks in people to say? Oh, that was the most unpleasant experience, I assure you. It's just that Mr. Lupin began demanding a little too high a percentage for this to be my uh, health food. Even went so far as to threaten me with exposure. So you grabbed up an ice pick from your juice bar and followed him out of the club. Mm-hmm. I doubt if he ever knew what hit him. Oh, I bet he had a hunch. Well, I I perceive that you've sampled my wheat, sir. No, I opened a can or two. Personally, I never touched the stuff without bananas and cream. You've made the same unfortunate discovery the Red O'Byron made. Oh, that's why he called me Leon. Yes, and that's also why I had to resort to the unsportsmanlike expedient of luring him to the balcony of the gymnasium and then pushing him over head first. I was about to call the doctor a particularly dirty name when Seymour's hulking shoulders loomed up behind the juice bar, not over three feet from where the doctor was standing. Doctor, you're wrong. Seymour is not a sissy. What? I don't think you could beat up Seymour with one hand. That's why. Mr. Diamond, I'm afraid you're asking to be shot. Yeah, well, just do try it. Who said... <laughs> I'll teach him to call somebody who knows how to fly a sissy. <laughs> What's very angry? Look, Leon, you got to do something for me. Angry? Tell the violinist to get his big fat Stradivarius over to where she's sitting. And quick, please, immediately. Hello, Miss Asher. Oh, come on, sweetie. I've had a rough night subduing murderers, opium eaters. At least you could do is say hello. Hello. I, uh, like that song, don't you? Look, I know all about you and your little violin bit. Huh? I saw Leon pointing us out to the violinist. He did? Mm-hmm. And where, may I ask, is little Seymour? Little Seymour ate too many goodies. He's having his stomach pump. Oh, now that's sweet. I think so. I think the song is nice, too. I think you should sing it, too. I think I should, too. Hold me close and hold me fast. The magic spell 
you can. This is La Viano. When you kiss me, heaven sighs, and though I close my eyes, I see La Viano. When you press your heart, Private Detective stars Dick Powell in the title role and is written by Harvey Easton with music composed and conducted by Frank Worth. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Arthur Q. Bryan, Wilm Herbert, Bill Conrad, Jay Novello, and Dan O'Herlihy. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Bill Foreman inviting you to be with us next Wednesday at this time when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Hiya, beautiful. Get lost, Bristlepuss. You need a shave. But I have shaved. What else do you want me to do? Silly boy, she wants you to go stag. Go stag? But why? Because stag is Rexall's exclusive line of men's good grooming aids, like stag brushless shave cream. No fuss, no massage, just smooth it on and presto, you get a clean, close shave. Your face stays smooth and whiskerless all day long. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll... 
Go stag. That's it. Join the stag line now at Rexall drugstores everywhere. Yes, to make girls care. Go stag. This episode of Case Closed. I'll be back next Wednesday with another hour. You want to find more from Secrets of Scotland Yard, Richard Diamond, Private Detective, all the other podcasts, and more old-time radio, just visit the website at relicradio.com. While you're there, click on that donate button. Help us keep this and all of the Relic Radio shows on the air. Your support is the only thing that makes it all happen. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Case Closed.